Amen. We're all in desperate need of His touch, His grace. Um, there is an insert in the bulletin I just want to mention briefly. We, we have April 3rd through the 6th. Jason Rowe will come and share the heart of God with us in a series of meetings. And obviously, we need to prepare our hearts that God might wake us up and shake us up and do a work in us. And so anyway, in this insert, I'm not going to take time to go through all of it, but as I thought about it, I thought it'd be good for us to have prayer partners to encourage us to be in prayer. And so there's a sign-up sheet out there. I encourage you to sign up for it. I, I know how hard it is sometimes to physically get together, but if once a week you could call or text or, if possible, meet face-to-face. But I thought, you know, maybe just a few prompting dream questions as we pray and get ready for God to wake us up and shake us up. Uh, what do I want God to do in me? Guys, let's, let's dream about that. Think about that. What do you want God to do in you? Second, what do I want God to do at Kingsway? What do I want God to do in this body of believers? Third, what do I want God to do in our community? What do we want to see God do in all the churches together and in our community here in, in Bristol? What do we want to see God do? I'm not here to answer that. I'm here to ask you to ask that. To seek God's heart in His face. And, and sign up. And then uh, first weekend in February, I'll make sure people are matched up and let everybody know who the prayer partner is. And that's, uh, Let's prepare our hearts. I know God wants to do a work. But we need to till the soil so that He'll plant and cause growth in us. And do a work. But, okay, enough commercial time. Uh, spent some time getting into the message. Started a series last week on the book of Ephesians. As Paul wrote to this new church in Ephesus uh, when he wrote. and I've entitled this message, Blessed Beyond Belief. And what a miracle it was when you think about Paul. Here was a guy who, man, he was on the Jewish Supreme Court. He was well recognized, well educated. Uh, he was he was intellectual, uh, sharp thinker, great debater. He he was taught by the blue bloods of that day to be a leader. And his passion, as we read in the scriptures at first was to make sure that this new movement known as the Way, this group of people who worshipped one who had been crucified, but he wasn't dead. He was alive. He wanted to stomp out that small fire that was spreading all around him. Those who were turning to Jesus Christ. And in the process, on a road to Damascus, everything changed as he came face to face with the one he wanted to um, destroy. He was changed. And we're going to look this morning as he opens his heart up about that change. And it is a change he wants for all people. He wants to do that type of change in you and me. Not just the superstars of the church. We all matter. And we all are, are called of God. And, and so, anyway, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor. I'm going to read our focal text this morning. Ephesians 1, first 11 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He's freely given us and the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Let's pray. Here we are again, Lord. Beggars coming to You, seeking Your touch, needing what You offer. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work here today. Work in me, Work in all of us, Lord. Because we need you. Sometimes we think we don't, but we always have. And I pray that's evident today. That we're reminded, you're the one who deserves the praise. You're the one who deserves the worship. Lord, we get sidetracked. Bring us back, Lord. And there may be some here who have never gotten on the track, Lord. And I pray today would be that day. Work in your power. Lord, glorify your name. In Jesus we ask this. Amen. You know, I want to start out and, and, and just mention the one that God used to pen this letter, this section of Scripture that means so much to us. Um, his father was probably a, a tent maker. A master tent maker who taught his son, Paul, known as Saul, how to, how to do that craft. To have a, have a job. To have a vocation. We don't read anything about his mom. So we don't really know anything about her. We know that they were a rich family. That they were citizens of Rome. So they had some clout among the Romans. We know that they were devout Jews and, and that young Saul, he was in a very religious school where the main emphasis and the main text were on the Old Testament Scriptures. And that he was taught how to think and how to debate. He had a very sharp mind. And um, from the age of 13, he was ready to graduate what we'd call high school. He was ready to move on into higher education. He, he was ready to move out. <laughs> and, and, and he went to other places and, and he was able to, to craft that trade as a tent maker. And we believe, which was normal custom for those who were Pharisees and religious teachers of that day, that he probably was married. And he, he, he came back and... and <laughs> He had grown up in a home where, although they spoke Greek outside the home, in the home, it's more than likely he spoke Aramaic. 
in the home, his parents were very careful to guide his thinking because they saw the world as a wicked place where God was not worshipped, where God was not given the attention that he deserves. And so young Saul, man, he was zealous. He had a heart that burned. He, He wanted God to be lifted up, but he didn't understand everything about God. He was into his own pursuit. He was into his own religiousness. He was into the fact that he was a guy climbing the ladder. A a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had said at the the teacher who was most well-known, Gamaliel. And he was ready to serve his nation. And as a result of that, he, he attacked Jesus. But then he met Jesus and everything changed. So we, we come to that and in the letter, I think it's interesting here how he opens up. He says Paul. He could have said Paul a Pharisee of Pharisees because man, he was one of the head dogs. He had it together. He could have said Paul the brilliant scholar who studied under the most famous of scholars, Gamaliel. But he didn't do that, guys. He could have said Paul a member of the Supreme Court. But what did he say? He said Paul an apostle. He said Paul an One who was sent out. That's what an apostle was. One who sent out to carry a message. A life-changing message. And we're here because of that message. He was sent forth with a commission to make Jesus Christ known. And as a matter of fact, as you read through this letter, the one thing that stands out to me over and over again is that his heart beats Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, every thump, thump, thump could be Christ, Christ, Christ. Man, that's Paul. That's his passion. That's his heart. And as he as he moves in to the letter, and as he shares, he, he makes it clear that the reason he's changed is because he's in Christ. Jesus got a hold of him and didn't let go and transformed his life. And and that's what it's about here. And as he writes, he writes to these people and he calls them saints. And, and, you know, we have some weird ideas a lot of times about what a saint is. That a saint's this uh, super spiritual guy that stands out from the other people around him and you can't get close to him and you can't touch him because he's just got it more together than you. But as you look in the Scriptures, guys, that's not what a saint is. A saint is one who's set apart. And there's two key words here that make all the difference as Paul opens up. He says... To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The key here is in Jesus. That's what a saint is. It's someone who is in Jesus. You know, and I don't like to talk about specific groups of people because I want to talk about Jesus. But I, I, I've troubled with this stuff about making Pope John Paul II a saint and, and how he's how they got him up for sainthood and all that. And I thought, you know... That bothers me because it's a misconception about what a saint is. A saint is not someone who stands out above everybody else that you can't touch, that you can't connect with. A saint is somebody who's in Jesus, and Jesus was the most accessible of all. He was the one that everybody loved to be around, everybody wanted to be with. Not one that said, I'm too good for you to be around, but someone who said, I love you so much, I want to be near you. And and that's who the saints are. Matter of fact, it sounds kind of nuts, but you know the truth be told from Scripture... St. Todd, St. Jeff, St. Penny, 
Saint Cindy. Here we go. Saint Stephen. Saint Josh. I mean, I go on. If you are in Christ Jesus, guys, you're a saint. But it's Jesus. It's not my righteousness. As the Bible says, my rags were traded for His righteousness. That's what it's about. Um, I thought a great illustration here that from the late D. James Kennedy. He, he said, imagine being in the middle of a lake and there's two rowboats. You've got one foot in a rowboat and the other foot's in a rowboat that's full of holes. Well, you've got a problem because <laughs> one full of holes is sinking. And even though you've got your other foot in a, a good solid rowboat, because your one foot's in the rowboat full of holes, you're going to sink. You can have one foot in Christ, but if the other foot's planted firmly in self, self-righteousness, you're going to sink. You've got to be fully planted in Jesus. That's what righteousness is really about. He goes on and, and he, he, he talks this way. He says, uh, <laughs> Or to change the picture, suppose you were trying to cross from one cliff to another one, which is 100 feet away. It's 5,000 feet down to the rocks below. You have, however, a one-inch thick piece of rope, which is capable of holding up several tons. There is a difficulty, though, for you have only 50 feet of rope. I say, don't worry, I have 50 feet of thread. We can tie my thread to your rope and then tie that to the trees or either cliff and then you can go across. You decline my offer and respond, what's the matter? Do you not trust the rope? Yes, you say, I trust the rope, but I do not trust the thread. Uh, Then let's change the story and make it 90 feet of rope and only 10 feet of thread. You're still not comfortable. Then suppose we make it 99 feet of rope and only one foot of thread. One inch of thread? You see, if you have one inch of thread, you'll be just as dead on the rocks below as if you tried to cross on a hundred feet of thread. The rope obviously represents what Christ has done, and the thread represents what we've done. We must trust in Christ alone. As Charles Spurgeon puts it, if we have to put one stitch in the garment of our salvation, we shall ruin the whole thing. And it's all about being in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're a saint. Uh, mentions at the end of the book, one of these people who was a saint, you know, Paul was stuck in prison. He was not able to deliver this letter personally. So uh, he had a guy that helped him. We read in Ephesians six twenty one and 22 about this guy. His name was Tychicus. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Saint Tychicus came to deliver that letter. Saint Noah may give you a call and encourage you. The saints, God's people who are in Christ Jesus, who are set apart for His glory. He's the one that does the work in us. It's not about how good I am. It's about how wonderful and great and perfect He is. And He saved me. And His righteousness becomes mine. (laughs) Um, It's about Christ Jesus. The moment you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were placed into Christ. In God's eyes, He placed you in His beloved Son's position. When the Father looks at you, He sees the beauty of His Son. This... It's called your position in Christ. In the Father's heart, you are as close to Him as the Son is. Isn't that good stuff? <laughs> now think about it. Before Jesus, you were lost. Before Jesus, the only place you were going was straight to hell. But once Jesus entered your life, everything changed. 
headed to heaven. Everything changed. A future <laughs> that's not a despair. Um, and it's because of Christ. It's because of Jesus. Um, Lewis Chafer Sherry was the guy who founded Dallas Theological Seminary. One of his messages years ago in chapel, he was talking about the hymn Nearer to God. He's talking about the fact that, you know, we, we want to be nearer to God and follow God. But what matters even more than that is how near He is to us. Listen to what he wrote. He rewrote uh, the course of it. He said, Nearer to God, nearer I cannot be, for in the person of His Son, I am as near as He. Isn't that good? Nearer to God, nearer I cannot be, for in the person of His Son, I am as near as He. That is our position. You say, I'm not perfect. Well, no, I'm not. But praise be to God, that's not what it's about. <laughs> it's about the fact that because Jesus is in us, when the Father looks down upon us, He sees the beauty of His Son. <laughs> that's what He sees. And that's what we have. And man, what? how can you not get excited about that blessing? Then He goes on here in Ephesians and He... He says to them, grace and peace. Of course, grace is His undeserved favor that He has given to us. And instead of just a drop of water, it's the continual waves of the ocean. His blessings continually poured upon us. John 1 verse 16 says, From the fullness of His grace we have received one blessing after another. That's what it is. That's His love. That's poured out to us, guys. Matter of fact, you know, as you look through this letter, it seems like every sentence, Paul's trying to sneak Jesus in there. Because he understands Jesus is the source of all this blessing. And now, as, as I come into the, the bulk of, of 3 through 14, you know, if you're reading this in the Greek, guys, it'd be like there's not a period. All verses 3 through 14 is like one thought. One big super thought that describes what it means to be in Christ Jesus. It, it opens up blessings beyond belief. We're able to, to, to catch a glimpse or, or a summary of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. And, and I want to just uh, quickly look at these. And, and you know, it, it's interesting here as you look at this, uh, see how Paul was transformed. I mean, as he writes this, he's sitting in a jail cell. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And, you know, I've, I've been to see people uh, in prison. And most of the time, to be honest with you, what they do is spend their time trying to convince me that they're innocent. But they shouldn't be there. But instead of Paul talking about how he was innocent and he deserved to get out, he didn't mention that. But he wanted something else to get out. And that was the message of why he was different. That was the message of Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted to get out of that place. His life had become that message. And he wanted that message to flow out of there, guys. Um, was he a perfect guy? Listen to what he says uh, in Ephesians 3. He describes himself. Um, notice what he says, of, uh, starting in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. It was by gift, he said, given me through the working of God's uh, power. He says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love the way he talks about himself. He says, 
Although I am less than the least, less than the least of all God's people. He, man, he didn't see himself with an inadequate sense of, I mean, with a sense of being fully adequate. He saw himself as inadequate. Why? Because he was trying to find his sufficiency in Jesus. And that's what this is about. Uh, just quickly, uh, going through here. First, notice verse 3. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He points that source out. It is because of Jesus. Every spiritual blessing that's given in the Scriptures, because of Jesus, there's a check that says, yes, you get it. <laughs> Secondly, He's chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before He started thinking about creating this planet, He thought about you. What a thought. He chose you before anything else because He loves you. You're precious to Him, guys. Third, he predestined us. We can't fully grasp this, but it doesn't mean it's not true. It should be a comfort instead of something we try to figure out and our brains smoke starts coming out as the gears are turning. <laughs> uh, but he says, he, verse 5, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ to, in accordance with His pleasure and will. Man, He loves you that much. <laughs> That was his heart's dream, was, was to think about you, to, to, to bring you back. Uh, next, for he redeemed us. To redeem is to be bought back. He paid the price we couldn't pay, so we might get the gift we don't deserve. We were slaves. He bought the slaves. He bought us back. Notice verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Hey guys, he did what we couldn't do. What a blessing. Fifth, he's forgiven us. Notice the second part of verse 7. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He's forgiven you. Forgiven you. I love, turn me to Psalm 103. Um, Many of you know this section of Scripture, but it's just such a great picture. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12 eloquently remind us about His love. Verse 10, He says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Isn't that good news? He doesn't give us what we deserve but what we need. Notice uh, verses 11 and 12, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. In other words, those transgressions cannot touch us, our condition, because he's forgiven us that completely and that deeply. Just good news. Um, Sixth, he lavished his grace. Uh, Man, he didn't spare any of his grace he gave it all. It says the riches of God's grace, and He is rich beyond measure. <laughs> He's the richest of all. You know, He didn't just give us a drop of blessing. As that great song says, He showered us with blessings. That's how He blessed us. Seventh, He made known to us the mystery of His will. Look at verses 9 and 10. 
And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached the fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The mystery of his will. He made it clear that he loves all of us. Regardless of how we're different, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our trunk of garbage, He loves us. And the mystery, what you can't understand, is that He loves us so much, He'd rather die for us than live without us, guys. That's what it's about, man. Mystery coming together that He loves you that much. Um, Let me go on here. Eight, He provided an inheritance. You know, I'm... I read this week as I was studying this about uh, this family that had gathered together. They were excited to get their inheritance. And when they came and the will was read, it said, I spent it all. You know, isn't it great that God didn't say, you know, I've already worked hard enough. You guys aren't getting anything. But He chose to give us His inheritance. It says, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in community purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. That we might receive His inheritance. That, that guys, we might receive His blessing. Um, What a blessing. Um, Okay, uh, ninth, He sealed us. (laughs) He has sealed us and freed us. Verse 13, you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The word seal is a picture of completion. I love it uh, when Jesus is on the cross, you know, just, just before he gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. That makes all the difference, guys. It is finished. The battle is won, victorious, and following the Father and us receiving the grace. And then finally, in verse 14, a pledge that is shown to us. Who It talks about the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. When you trust Christ, when you are in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes His home in you. And the pledge, the promise that heaven is your home is the Holy Spirit. He is a marker that reminds us we've been marked. That we're headed somewhere else. That this is not all there is. The Holy Spirit teaches us the truth of God. Convicts us of our sin. And, and confirms that we're His. And, and He does this mighty work. And it's just a reminder that you belong to Him. Man, anyways, I've dumped a lot of stuff here in just a few minutes. But as Paul shares this, he's saying as he sits in that jail, as he's chained up to this Roman soldier, basically what he's saying is, guys, I am in Christ Jesus and I'm just... That's it. That's life. Here it is. I'm going to share it with you. Just dump it all out there. (laughs) And I'm dumping it all out there to you today. Are you in Christ Jesus? Because that's what life is. That's what it's about. Turn with me. I'm going to close here. Time's up. Just about here. Hang in. Isaiah chapter 6. Very familiar passage to many of you as we close. 
Isaiah was a prophet who, like the rest of us, had his problems. But God got a hold of him. And Isaiah 6, I believe, is a picture of God's work in his life, his con- Isaiah's conversion and his calling. I want you to just look at this because I think it, there are truths in here that pertain to all of us. He, he starts out, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Then the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. What happened to Isaiah here? He saw the glory of God. He saw how awesome and how great God is. He was in awe. He was moved. We live in an age where God is just, eh, He's there. If I need Him, I'll scream out. You know, I'll, I'll ask Him for something if, it, if, it, if I need it. That wasn't Isaiah's experience. He caught this vision of the majesty of God. How awesome, how great God is. And, 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 and we need that today. We need to see God in His greatness. But it didn't end there. Look, look on here, verse 5. He says, Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What happened? He saw the majesty of God. He saw how holy He is, how He's so exalted, how He's so high, how He's so lifted up. And then once He saw God, He saw Himself. Guys, do you hear what I'm saying here? He saw God and then he saw Him. He was honest. He saw his condition. He saw he was a guy of unclean lips. He said, maybe nobody else knows what my condition is, but I know God knows. And here he is, he's high and lifted up, and I'm not. He saw himself as a sinner. He saw himself in need of forgiveness. He he saw himself as one without hope. He said, I'm unclean. Woe am I, man, it's trouble. That's how he saw himself. And guys, that's, that's how it starts. You see the majesty of God and then you see your own sin. And you say, I need someone to help me. You see? And, and right, go on here and see what happens. I love this. <laughs> Verse 6, he says, Then one of the seraphs, one of these angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isn't that great? He saw the glory of God. He saw his own mess and he was in despair. And what happened? God rescued him. God sent his angel to touch his lips, to clean his lips, to make him new, to make him whole. That's what happened, guys. God saw the condition and God went to work. And that's the story of the cross. That's the story of Paul, man. He was all screwed up. He was headed to torture Christians. He he wanted to, to kill them, make their lives miserable. And he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. And Jesus drove him to his knees. And he said, look at me in my glory. I've blinded you. And now I want to change you, Paul. And he did. And he got a hold of Paul's life. And as he sat in that jail cell, he was content. Why? Because he was in Christ Jesus. Jesus got a hold of him. Is he a hold of you? Do you know him? Look 
Look at verse 8. And then, uh, as they say in the hills, stick a fork in me, I'm done after that, okay? Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And the first part of verse 9, he said, Go and tell this people. Um, we see something beautiful here. He saw God in His majesty. He saw where He was. And then God touched him. And once God touched him, he was able to hear the call of God. He was able to to hear the need that was out there. And he was able to see with God's eyes. He was able to feel with God's heart. And he was was moved. He was changed. And, And once he was converted, he could hear the call. There are some of us that think we want to head out with a call before we're converted. Man, you can't see as God wants you to see. You can't feel as God wants you to feel. You, because you've got to be changed first. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be in Christ Jesus before you can go and serve Christ Jesus. Where are you with that, guys? Paul was sharing his heart. He said, I'm in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? If you're not, you can be. <laughs> you can just bow your heart. And just admit your junk before God and say, God, I have messed up. I'm a sinner. But you forgive. Forgive me. He will. That's what, that's what it's about. It's, it's not about judging each other and beating each other up. It's about leading, leading you to the one that can forgive you. That's what it's about. We have an altar here that's open to pray, to, to come. And man, I'd, I'd love... You don't need me by any means. You need Jesus. But when you come to him, honestly, he, he doesn't say, hey, get away. No, he, he's got open arms. And he says, man, I want to embrace you. I want to love you. Where are you? Do you need to give your heart to Christ? Maybe God stirred you this morning and, and, and you've been reminded of His majesty. You've been reminded of your junk. And, and now He's speaking to you and He's saying, it's time to get beyond myself and to go out with His heart and with His eyes and His hands and to serve. I don't know what God's up to. I just want Him to be up to something. And, and so our altar's open. Come pray. Come to the front. This is about saying yes to God, not to me or to anyone else in this church. It's about being in Christ Jesus. Where are you? Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this marvelous letter. Thank You more for a marvelous Savior. Here we are, Lord. What do you want of us, Lord? I pray the Holy Spirit will move in such a powerful fashion this morning that we'll have to say yes to you. That we'll have to just jump up and run down, Lord. To say to the body of Christ, Jesus, Jesus has changed me. Jesus loves me. Lord, if there's one here who needs to pray and say, Lord, forgive me. Enter my heart. (laughs) May it happen this moment. There's one here that you want to do something else in, whatever it is, Lord. Father, help help it to happen, Lord. We want to see people come down the aisle. We want to see people come across the aisle. We just want to see people turn to you. Because apart from you, there's no hope. It's all the smokescreen. You're the only answer. Have your way, Lord. And this time we call response, and this time we call invitation, we invite you to show up, Lord. We invite you to work.
And may you just take us over, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.